0: I want to start off this morning by just talking about a, a movie I really enjoyed that Christy and I saw this past week. It was actually just Friday night where I, I, seen this, I saw this trailer about a year and a half ago and I was immediately captivated by it. And you might not have the same experience, but it's a movie called Yesterday. Has anyone seen the movie Yesterday? I love this movie. And I can't really explain all the reasons why, but uh, let me just give you the premise and try not to be too spoiler-oriented if you want to see the movie. It's on Netflix right now. But the movie is essentially this songwriter, Jack Malick, and I think I have a picture of him up here somewhere. Um, He might pop up there. Jack Malick. And so Jack is a failed, royally failed singer-songwriter living in the UK. Royally failed. He, can't, he has not done well. For 10 years he's been trying to make it and he cannot do it. And then all of a sudden this very strange thing happens where this unexplained blackout happens in the beginning of the movie. He gets hit by a bus and then all of a sudden he wakes up and the whole world has never heard of the Beatles. They've never heard of the Beatles and it's not just the Beatles, there's a couple other things and he is just becomes a Google expert where he just searches every single thing. Is this still a thing? No, Beatles are not a thing. Is this still a thing? Harry Potter is not a thing. Is this still a thing? Cigarettes are not a thing. Like there's a very some very strange reality, some sort of reality shifting thing happened. But the, the movie is written around this whole idea that the Beatles don't exist. And he is a singer-songwriter that's been very shaped by the Beatles. In fact, he remembers all of them. He knows all of the songs. And so as someone who's completely failed, who's in the dumps, he doesn't know what to do, he decides, you know, why don't I just play these songs and see what happens? <laughs> why don't I just play these songs and see what happens? And so he starts to play the songs of the Beatles, the songs that have shaped him, the songs he loves. And at first, he's really thrown off because he says, this is, this is just a new song I've been working on. What do you think about it? And people think, people think, well, that's a really strange song. Why would you talk about a person named Jude? Or one of my favorite scenes in the movie is he's trying to show his parents, um, He's trying. I have this new song I want to show you, Let It Be, and he goes to show it. And then they interrupt him about 10 times and he just gives up. Like he, the whole, he's so thrown off and he actually gets frustrated and upset. Eventually he gets very popular. The whole world goes crazy because he remembers the Beatles songs and he's inwardly conflicted. But the moment in the movie that I found really interesting to connect with where I find ourselves this morning and this sermon series we're about to start is that he's so thrown off early on when he doesn't realize that nobody knows. That people don't know the songs. He gets to, how could you never heard, have heard Let It Be? You know, this is his discovery process of him realizing people don't know what the Beatles are. He's like, how do you not know? This is like the best song ever. And at the same time, he's, he's, he's so confused. He thinks people are playing this terrible joke on him. He doesn't understand why people wouldn't know these songs that have meant so much to him. Because they've shaped him. They've been a part of who he's been. And so this morning is part of several-week series, and this month we find ourselves in September 2021, where we wanted to, as a church, to take a step back and to look at our vision as a church and to ask questions together of what is God doing and how can we align ourselves with him? And in a lot of ways, it's our opportunity as a church to reaffirm this vision that we feel and see that God has given Bethel, which goes far beyond when I joined as part of serving this church, as part of joining this church. It's about, as you can probably remember, years and years back, years and years after seasons and seasons of praying and discerning, what is God doing in our community? And it's about being very clear about what God is shaping us and calling us to be. You can, if you every time you walk in, in this room, and for those of you here, you can even just turn around and see it, we have it up in the wall here that our mission and vision of a church as a church is, to, is becoming like Christ and sharing him with others. It's short, it's simple, but it is incredibly profound. It is a big picture vision of what we as a church feel called to do. And then we have several core commitments as part of this series that we're going to actually reflect on closely core commitments that are how we want to align ourselves as part of that vision, how you get involved, how you participate in it. Not just a grand statement out there that you're not involved with. It's something we do together on the ground level, on a relational level. Because the language, these languages, these core commitments, they bring unity to us as a church because we are a diverse body. And they also bring clarity around our purposes. What we are actually trying to do together. So our first uh, core commitment we're looking at this morning, as you can see the image above, is communion. A core commitment of communion, walking with Christ. So what I'll be reflecting on in 2 Corinthians 3 this morning is what does that look like? What's involved with communion? What does it even mean? It's from the Latin, which means fellowship, mutual participation, sharing. But what does that actually mean? Because it's actually not talking, when you use the word communion in this sense, it's not talking about how, you know, I'm going to experience communion with a friend and go get coffee. It's not talking about that. It's actually talking about communion with the Lord. What does it look like to experience communion with the Lord, Father, Son, and Spirit? What does it look like to be part of that communion? And how do we align ourselves with that? And I, you know, like I said, this as a vision series is about actually saying and confessing what matters. This is exactly where Paul finds himself in 2 Corinthians 3. He's trying to define and be clear about what matters and why it matters. Sometimes when you read, read scripture, you're trying, it, it's really important to ask a lot of these questions in your mind. What is being expressed to me? How is it being expressed? And why is it being expressed? What is being expressed? Why is it being expressed? And we're gonna ask those questions this morning as I go through the passage. Ask those questions and, a lot, and it'll help us understand along the way. What actually communion walking with Christ looks like? Are you with me? Are you with me? I like the nods. Help, they're good. So I I just want to say a little bit about where we find ourselves in this letter, because when you jump into a passage of Scripture, it really helps to orient yourself where we are. We're in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, where he has visited with them. He has written letters to them before, and he's been involved with the forming of this church. In fact, this letter is actually a response to what's happened after he's left being with them. And the reality is is that after he left, preaching the gospel, he sees the Holy Spirit fall upon this church. Uh, They are moved to structure a church around uh, what they feel called to do. Their vision of the gospel, the gospel kingdom of Jesus coming at hand for all nations and cultures. And he's heard that they actually become kind of distracted after he left. He's heard that they've actually found some better speakers before, and they found some other teachings they're kind of interested in. And right away, if you, if you kind of read, if you read up to this point in the letter, you'd realize that it doesn't sound like Paul left that much of an impression. Because <laughs> the point was that Paul didn't, wouldn't have left much of an impression. Tradition tells us that Paul was short, that Paul um, was not this very eloquent speaker, maybe passionate, but he's not the kind of person that you would go out of your way to bring a friend to and say, you need to see this person. He is not, everything that we know about Paul is not to say he's impressive, but that he is speaking the truth of the gospel, and Christ is moving through what he is saying and teaching and writing. So they have been led astray. But Paul's boldness in the passage that you already read for us in 2 Corinthians 3 is saying that a whole another thing is at hand, and that they must orient themselves completely around this moment because it's part of their journey of becoming. Becoming like Christ. Becoming like Christ through communion with the Lord. The first thing I want to look at is what is happening in this process of becoming. What is happening in this process of becoming? And you can lurk. I'm going to read from chapter 3, verse 12. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Hope, verse 12, hope. This is why he is speaking in this letter, hope. But he connects this with a lot of assurance, assurance of hope, hope that's not fading away. A lot of hope that feels very strong. And it is because of the unfading glory of the gospel that the glory of the gospel, and I'll say a little bit more about glory because it helps to explain what glory is, but that this is not fading away by the good news of what Jesus talked about, what Jesus means for us today, that that is not fading away. And we might have past forms. The old covenant is what he's talking about here, the old covenant in the Old Testament, that that had its purpose and intention to proclaim and help us anticipate Jesus. But that is not what we cling to. We cling to the unfading glory of the new covenant whether you're in Paul's day, whether you're in 2021. The unfading glory of the old covenant. And so let me, I mentioned, I would say glory. I think there are a lot of times when we read the Bible that it's really helpful to have a definition in your mind of what does this word mean? <laughs> because glory is a word that I don't find if I went out in the day or I, I found, I find good, ne- good, definition, good definitions for, to be honest. So what I would like to offer to you, glory, is the manifest presence of god revealing his goodness and beauty glory is the manifest presence of god revealing his glory and beauty and i already used a word that i wouldn't use normally every day manifest just means made known that god's presence is made known through goodness and beauty and he does it through all kinds of ways we experience god's glory in lots of ways and in some way, through you, I experience God's glory and goodness. In some ways, I experience it through creation. We experience it through scripture. But that is God's glory. The way in which he's making himself known, to the extent to which he is making himself known, then I also experience glory. And then in the scripture, scriptures, when you hear the heavens declare your glory, the heavens glorify your name, you know what that means? Is that means that the heavens, the earth, you, me, we are declaring, affirming, proclaiming, the glory and the beauty and goodness of God. That we participate in the glorifying action, we affirm and acknowledge it. The reason I say this is because this undergirding theme in this section is all about glory. The glory is the presence of God. It is the goodness and of God's presence that you, I believe, have experienced in some way and will continue to experience. But the question is how we respond. Paul is bold here about the hope that he has because this glory in Christ is not feeding. It is not going anywhere. That's the what. Remember, we're talking about the what here. The what of the process of becoming. It's the what. It is the glory that is happening. And the way he tries to reflect on this is by actually doing some commentary on something from the Old Testament. It's Exodus 34. If you know your Old Testament, Moses at one point goes up to Mount Sinai and experiences the glory and presence of God. It's right, right before he brings the Ten Commandments down. And even, you know, Moses in that place, he, is, he's, he asked God to show me your glory. Show me the face of your glory. And God tells him it's too much. If he actually witnessed and saw the face of God, he would die. But when Moses comes down from the mountain, all of a sudden, everyone that are the people of Israel, they see his face shining. His face is shining. It's glowing. And, and all of a sudden, it actually causes the people to fear him. And his face is shining because he's experienced the glory of the Lord. And he, they, as, as he's speaking, he's telling the people what God has told him to say, but he actually puts a veil over because they can't handle it. <laughs> he puts a veil over it so they can't handle it. And then over time, as things fade in Exodus 34, we find out that, no, he, you know, he'll go into the tent of meeting, which was a set-apart place as part of the camp where he would experience the presence of God. And then the glow it seems to us, based on what Exodus tells us, would come back a little bit again. And so the point that Paul makes by bringing this up in this chapter is to say that we aren't like Moses. That's the very first thing he says, that we aren't like Moses. Moses concealed what was happening. He attempted to hide the kind of glory that he had experienced or even to lessen the shock around the people around him. This is not a normal thing. And, you know, I'm not expecting anybody to be walk out glowing today, but if you do walk out glowing, I would love to know. I am curious. Um, The main difference is he points out between what Moses experienced and what followers of Jesus today experience when we experience the communion of the Lord, the presence of God, is the location. Exodus focuses on Moses' face, right? But the point that Paul is making is that no this is actually all of who all of us all of us experience when we experience all when we experience god's presence all of us encounters the glory of god and is changed locations the location is different the duration is also different because like i already said over time the glow would fade from moses face not so much the impact of the holy spirit on us and what i mean by that is that that work that imprint that formation is eternal And it is a lasting seal upon us, changing us forever. Let me read the next few verses here in verse 14. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. And what it's speaking to is the fact that we don't have this separation between us and God, but something is, 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 is happening within our hearts. We are closed off to the work of God in this world. We are closed off to the work of God in this world. And that in itself, in the analogy, is a veil, a veil that separates us from the glory and the presence of God. So then that's the what? The glory of God has impacted the world, drawing people into communion with him. But how do you experience that? How do you experience this process of becoming? How do you do that? Communion with the Lord. How do you experience that process? Well, the very first thing is the next verse, chapter, verse 16, it says this, but, when anyone, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So when you turn before the Lord, you experience the, the presence of God And that is one way in which this process happens for you. If you're wondering how to respond to this, the baseline invitation to anything is to, is to respond and turn to the Lord, to seek his face, to seek his glory. The next verse says something about God and how he's working through this new covenant, but it's also about the spirit in which we turn and what happens. The next verse says this, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That this work of turning to God is also a setting free, because that is how God's presence is working through the good news of His Son Jesus. And then the last verse here, in verse eighteen, which really is for me perhaps the most significant, one of the most significant verses in the New Testament. Not because, not because I I, I can't logically get my mind around it. But it just baffles me that God would draw us into his life with him this way. Second Corinthians 318, he says this, and we all with unveiled faces contemplating the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit unveiled faces. When we turn to the Lord through the work of the spirit, the Lord removes the veil that we could actually see and encounter Jesus. And that as we turn with unveiled faces and the word in the niv is contemplate but i also would encourage you to have the word reflect in your mind that as we turn and face the glory of god no it won't destroy us like it did moses because something's different has happened in our hearts because of what jesus accomplished on the cross that when we turn to the lord that we start to not only be changed by the glory but we reflect it it changes who we are a lasting transformation into the image with ever increasing glory. The image that we behold changes who we become. And some of the language here, this word, this Greek word here for contemplate and reflect, it has this idea of to show in a mirror. To show in a mirror, to make or deflect or mirror. And so when we look in a mirror, this heart space of communion, we're not looking at ourselves, like I'm not seeing myself with crooked glasses. And however, I did my hair this morning. I'm not seeing that. But I am seeing Jesus. The glory revealed in Jesus. And as I look at this every day, God is shaping me in light of who Jesus is. But I have to choose to look at that mirror. I know that's there every day. It's not just outside of my room or bedroom or down the hall. It's in every moment when I'm waking up making coffee, when I'm driving my kids to school or to work. It's in all these moments, I have the opportunity to look at the mirror and behold Jesus, who is Jesus to me in this moment? And how does that shape? How I understand the rain, the change of plans with the park the plans. I have for food later today, whatever it is for you, whatever might be going on in your mind In all these moments, I have an opportunity to say, how does Jesus shape this moment? How does communion with Jesus shape this moment? because we all are being transformed by it when we behold Jesus. So the what is the glory at work in the, in the world, but the how is all these different features I just explained, turning to the Lord, that spirit of freedom, removing the veil. And then as we behold Jesus, then we behold the glory of the Lord, which transforms us from one degree of glory to the next, from one degree of glory to the next. It's not, I mean, part of this, notice the action of that language, the verb. If you are a grammar whiz, that's great. But notice that we don't bring about that action. Yes, I talked about choosing to look at the mirror. But that action, we are actually the object of the action. That it is God's spirit at work and changing us and transforming us. Because we are being transformed into his image. Not that we transform ourselves. Not that this is an act of, you just making yourself a better person, or willing yourself to a better life. The action is simple and direct and clear and what it says to you and I, behold Christ, which was in some of the songs we sang this morning. Behold Christ, behold Jesus. This is how this process of becoming looks. Communion, walking, with Jesus, beholding and walking with Jesus. Maybe you've had this in your mind this whole time, thinking, what is communion like? Well, if I could help you know anything, don't get stuck on the word. Today's about walking with Jesus. It is about these acts and choices that lead to this direction. But the last question I want to ask before I go a little further in that is not the what, it's not the how, it's the why. It's the why this matters in your heart. Because we all start in these places of hardened hearts, of veiled lives and existences apart from God. And he calls out of us. He removes the veil. He takes us into his tent of meeting. He takes us into the glory of his presence. Why does this matter so much? Why would we put on the back of our sanctuary becoming like Christ? that we believe that this is happening as part of our church, as you participate in our church, whether it is worship, whether it is classes, whether it is fellowship, that we believe in some way the Holy Spirit's at work at drawing us together and making us more like Christ. Why does that matter? Well, Jesus, after he was resurrected, he appeared before his disciples on the Emmaus Road. He appeared before the disciples. You can look in Luke 24. And they didn't recognize him. And as he's walking along with them, walking with them, he begins to explain and tell them, that all the scriptures were talking about me. All the scriptures are anticipating my coming, the promise of my coming, and the victory of my coming. And one of the way, things he says in this is, it's Luke 24, 45, then he opened their minds. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Why does this matter? Because it's leading to what 1 John 3, 2 says. Dear friends, now after our minds have been opened, we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for he shall see, we shall see him as he, as he is. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So you, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you believe he conquered the grave for you. He rose to death, a new life for you. You are a new tent of meeting where freedom is available to you apart from a veil and that God has opened your eyes to the mystery of Jesus and the glory of his presence at work here. And maybe you don't feel like you are an incredibly spiritual person, your faith. You, maybe you don't experience it as this supernatural thing, but God is at work in your life through the normal everyday experiences. And that is the glory shining through. That is the mirror before you saying, I see Jesus in this moment. I'm walking with Jesus in this moment. But that can be experienced at any point in time. And that is his way of preparing you to be like him in the day that Christ returns. Why does this matter? It's because we are being shaped into the people God has always meant us to be. Sin has wrecked our hearts. It's wrecked our lives. It's wrecking our world. And the gospel and the good news is drawing us out of that darkness, preparing us in this way. The perfect human who came before us and showed us a life of grace. He set before us, and he didn't just set us a good example. He changed our hearts through the Spirit. So if we can behold what he's doing, we're being taken forward into what God has planned for us. So now it would be appropriate for me to at least acknowledge that while this makes sense, that is the what, this is the how, this is the why, you might be wondering how do you do it? How does that look like? What does it look like to do? If you go on our website, you'll see some of these examples I'm about to say, but this is a section of our core commitments, communion walking with Christ, where we talk about reading scripture, where we talk about prayer, where we talk about spiritual disciplines, that these are what I like to language I like to use, these are habits of grace. These are grace that we build into the rhythms of our lives that actually shape who we are and actually draw us into this journey of being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. As it says in Colossians 2, 6, and 7, that Jari read for us. So then, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith that you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. And so I, you know, this is not a place where I'm going to say what you should do or shouldn't do. But I would encourage you to look at the habits you have in place. What are the habits of grace you have in place? The way in which you read scripture or has it been a minute? What does it look like to read the Bible and maybe to acknowledge that maybe this is hard? People, I talk to people who read the Bible and, and it, some it's very, it comes easy and for some it's very hard. This is a foreign book of a different world that speaks into our world. It takes work to meditate and reflect and hear the truth, and we need the Spirit to open our minds. But what does it look like to read the Bible for you? Is that an everyday thing? Is it a a once-a-week thing? The other thing I would say is, what does your prayer life look like? How do you relate to God in prayer? You know, one of the the reflections I had um, this past year was this statement here, that the rhythms of our outward lives reveal how open we are to God inwardly the rhythms of our outward lives reveal how open to God we are inwardly. So it's not to say your life, your your walk with Jesus needs to look like the next person, (laughs) but what does it say about how open you are to God? How honest are you with God in prayer? so much of this work of beholding Christ takes you into an authenticity and an intimacy with the Lord through prayer that is uncomfortable for everyone. Because if you're willing to go there, you're going to be vulnerable to the Lord who sees you and yes, he knows everything about you, but that doesn't make it easy. It actually makes it much harder, especially when you go in season and out of season, you have some seasons that feel so strong and so good and other seasons that feel very difficult. They feel dry, they feel weary. How do your outward rhythms reflect your inward life with Jesus? Because the truth is that God wants to be with us and for us. And so this journey of becoming like Christ and sharing him with others, it involves communion, walking with Jesus. That's not an optional part of it. We can't actually become like Christ if we don't spend time with him together or find a way to be present to him. Because it's less about just reading your Bible every day and more what it looks like to stare in a mirror. Whether, it's with the, whether you're in a conversation with a friend or whether you have the, God, the Bible open to you. It's about actually being open to a transformation happening in your heart. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up to help lead us in worship and to respond to what this means. But part of it is that God wants to be with you. That this journey is not something that he wants for you to be completely alone. That walking with Jesus leads to becoming who he's always meant for you to be, who he's always seen you as, and who you really are. I would like to read a quote. Uh, from Henry Nouwen, who I'm such a big fan of. Um, so here this quote just, as a way of just hearing what it, likes, what, it, what it might seem like to go through the intimacy and connection of prayer, of being present to God in his glory. He says this in the way of heart, The Way of the Heart. As we come to realize it is not we who live, but Christ in us, that he is our true self, we can slowly let our compulsions melt away and begin to experience the freedom of the children of God. When we realize that when we're in Christ, we become our true selves. We do a lot of things out of our false selves. Of reacting, being scared, or actually being angry with people. But what does it look like to go before the Lord and be your true self? For God to see who you really are. And for you to be loved because God loves you. Please pray with me. Um, Lord, this is a calling uh, for people who've been following you for a long time, but also for people who perhaps don't even feel like they really know you that well. That when we hear those words become like Christ, what you're saying is that you see us individually and that you love us and that you want to be with us But we cannot be part of that journey without surrendering who we think our life should be or what we think life should be about because we often act as kings and rulers of our own lives and want to control everything. And then Lord, instead you say, let go. May I increase and you decrease. But Lord, in truth, we cannot let go without knowing that you'll catch us with your love and you do catch us. So I just ask Holy Spirit that Lord you would enter into our hearts in discernment about how to respond to something like this. The words of 2 Corinthians 3 which says that you are changing us from the inside out from one degree of glory to the next and how do we join in that? How do we join in that? And it is by being open and honest and real with you in prayer and quiet moments. Lord, help us to know how to do that. And give all the space that we need to do that. And let us to seize those moments that we might become more like you and share you with others. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.